0: Murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories brought to you by com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. All right, on this true law stories, we've got Greg Ward talking about his story of going from 400K in debt to Hunter x his personal injury law firm in Miami. Greg, say hi. Hello, everybody. And we're going to talk about the ways that personal injury attorneys are different from other attorneys, how he got his first hire for free, the moment his wife got him into personal injury, the importance of core values in your firm, how insur- one insurance company took advantage of a poor woman in a hospital that couldn't speak any English, why so many cases end up with not enough money for the person, The reality of $100 million cases and the warning on monster cases, as well as the myth of the once in a lifetime case, all this on true law stories. But before we get started, of course, it's brought to you by videocasestory.com. One of the best ways to grow your practice or any business is through your success stories. Go to videocasestory.com where we can help you collect, craft, and deliver those stories. All right, let's get started. Greg's at his office in New York but he happens to be in Florida. Very, how did you get started in personal injury law?
1: I I started off on the opposite side, actually. I, I went to law school, did really well and decided that a big corporate lawyer was the path to success. And I don't hold anything back about saying I wanted to be rich. I wanted to be super influential. I wanted to be the big lawyer with the briefcase and all this stuff. And so I thought the defense side was the way to go, and I did well enough in law school that I could get a job with a, with a big law firm down in Miami, which was a Steel Hector. I don't know if you remember them. They were acquired by Squire Sanders. It was an excellent litigation firm, and I was doing security litigation, so I got to think like I was cool, mixing it up with the, the big CEO and the CFO and things and shareholder actions, and this was before Enron, of course, so nobody really knew what that was, but it seemed cool to me, and I thought that was the path to success, and so I started doing that. And about two years in, I realized, yeah, this is not the (laughs) to to riches, fame, or glory. And I decided to say, I wanted to start my own firm. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so that was a 10-year journey as well. And over that time, I got to meet a lot of really fine lawyers. I reached out called people on the phone, said, let's have lunch. And I just found out that I'm more like the personal injury lawyers than I was like the big defense lawyers or trust and estates lawyers or tax lawyers. I just wasn't like those people. I was like the PI lawyers. And so that, so I knew in the back of my mind, 10 years in, I wanted to be a PI lawyer.
0: That's, yeah, that's a great story. It's an interesting journey because working with lawyers for so long, there are, it's definitely a different personality type for each type of law, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I think so, and a different way your brain works too. This is the thing; it's it just I. It's the only way I can ex- excuse or explain, you know, how things really come together. Because a personal injury lawyer really sees a human being, and they take the human being with their shortcomings and their warts, and and they can. And we really, there's a lot of empathy. A lot of PI lawyers have a lot of empathy, and we really just put ourselves in the shoes of our clients. And Chris Searcy up in, in West Palm was saying that there's only so many times you can do that in your lifetime because you really take on everybody's problems. And it's just as heartbreaking, it keeps us up at night. But, and I think the other side of this is when I was doing defense, I was much more intellectual. I was much more trying to reason and not understand the full, the full scope of the case. I was just thinking about what are the legal arguments and what's the, what's the logical position. And really our legal system, our justice system has to balance both of those. And so I think there's room and it's important place for both of us. And that's, not even, that's just litigators. I'm not even talking about Tax lawyers or trust—I yeah. I, I don't even understand those guys because they're just—they're way too smart for me. I, <laughs> they're on another planet most of the time.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so you start your firm, and in ten years you hundred x it.
1: How did yeah. you do that? <laughs> I have to say it's all—I'm a man of faith, first of all, and I think it's God had a significant role to know where we started. My wife and I started together, although she was my girlfriend at the time, and I had walked out of a firm I had started with some other partners and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go into PI. I knew that I wanted to have a, I thought I wanted to have a trial firm. And I had a real spiritual experience in that moment. Now, just to take you back there, this was 12 years ago. Now I was sleeping on a couch. I had gone through a really bad point in my life. My father and my sister had both died from leukemia, really bad leukemia. And I'd gone through a really messy divorce because my ex-wife, her parents both had strokes and she had to move to Europe to take care of them. And so it was it got pretty bad for a while. And I basically was, I was over $400,000 in debt. I'll just say that sleeping on a couch. So I made a great job offer to my now wife. I said, Hey, listen, let's start a firm together. I can't afford to pay you anything, but I can pay you gas. And I think we could do something great. And she was coming out of law school and she said, okay. I knew we were going to get married. Like I, I had a feeling, but we hadn't officially gotten engaged. And, uh, but she had, we had gone to church together and I had a really, like I said, a powerful spiritual revelation and the spiritual revelation really tied in with what I wanted to do. And that's help people. I wanted to help the little guy. That was always a story in my life that I just hadn't gotten really in touch with until I had, I'd really gotten strong with my faith. And my wife, of course, is a good woman of faith as well. So we started, and uh, as it, I said, 400 something plus thousand dollars in debt, sleeping on a couch, I managed to get a space sharing arrangement with some friends on Brickle. And we started doing commercial litigation. So that was, I took all my clients. We hadn't started the PI yet, but that's, that was the birthing of it. And literally that was 10 years ago, this past December 17th, we just had a big party celebrating our 10th anniversary.
0: And so tell me about the evolution of getting into PI and what were some of the aha moments that really unleashed and unlocked your law firm success. Yeah,
1: that's, that's a great story. So I had me an answer your question about 100Xing the firm. That's, we'll deal with that. I think throughout the entire podcast, we'll talk about 100Xing because there's a lot of pieces to that. But the, so I took my clients with me from my old firm and uh, resolved the issues that I had with them. And, uh, and I was doing commercial litigation, billable work. My wife passed the bar and she said, I want to do personal injury work. And she, my wife is a Cuban immigrant. She came across the border when she was 14 with a backpack and a little brother and her mom, and they were separated at the border, and everything. It was a really tragic story, but it ended well. And she managed to graduate from law school, but she didn't speak English. And so she, now that she's an attorney, she says, like, "I want to give back to my people." And I said, "Great, you should do immigration." And she said, "I don't want to do immigration." I said, "Okay, how about?" Or she says, "I want to do personal injury." And I say, "The arrogance I got to tell you, like looking back now, I just have to relive this every day. You go do your little personal injury practice. I'm going to keep doing my big commercial litigation practice." And we'll see. And so she started doing PI practice. In the first case she got in, she, we sent a letter to the insurance company and we got a $50,000 tender and we made $16,000. And I was like, are you out of your freaking mind? For me to bill and collect $16,000, it takes so much effort and work. There's something here. Right. Yeah. And, and I knew my wife was just, she just was a grinder. So I said, okay, let's really double down into this. And so a couple other things happened that just pushed us into the PI ran, area. And we haven't looked back. We, that's been the real growth factor.
0: And what, obviously there's, you have 16,000. I, I doubt you're hundred X getting just $16,000 cases. <laughs> what, what were the, what was the turning point case? that really helped grow your firm from a small personal injury firm to this level of $250 million? I
1: want to make a distinction here because I don't believe there is ever really a turning point case. There are milestones, right? And so I'm a big core values guy. And all this comes out at the end, you're like, wow, some of it's I'm looking back and I realize the values that have always driven me. And other ones I'm more intentional about teasing out what my values are so I can make sure that I focus on those values when I'm expanding the firm. Talking about like, for example, one of the earliest cases we had, I remember this very clearly that we had this uh, this housekeeper. She was, she came to us when she had been in a car accident and she had asked us about her previous case where she had settled it for $3,000, but she had a very, so in this case, in the the current case, she had a shoulder injury, but she had settled her neck case for $3,000. An adjuster from an insurance company had come to her house after she was in the hospital for a few days. An adjuster came to her house and said, hey, and he was from the same place in Cuba that she was from, said, hey, listen, all I can do is give you $3,000. I'm sorry, but that's all we're allowed to give you. We set our case for that. And for this cleaning woman, $3,000 was a lot of money. She didn't know there was a $100,000 insurance policy. She didn't know that she would have been entitled to the entire $100,000 and it would have probably paid, it would have paid most of her medical bills. She didn't know any of that. And in Florida, she signed a release. When you sign a release, even if you don't speak English, it's the release. Now, could we have gone back, maybe sued for fraud and the inducement, what well, was more than a year ago or a couple of years ago? The truth is it, that honestly pissed me off because they took advantage of her. And I said, you know what? These people, my clients, are they're poor, working poor oftentimes, good people, right? They're not here trying to get some stuff. Handouts. They just want to work and take care of their families. And uh, and she was a good person. She went to church every Sunday. She paid her taxes, all these things. And so we managed on the shoulder case, we managed to get her a tender and that, and she used that money to send her daughter to college. But I always remember that case when when an adjuster or an attorney is, oh, it's fraud or they're exaggerating or whatever it is. I'm like, you know what? Please, you guys have, this is a pattern of practice. And if, if there aren't guys like me there to stand in the way, it would be worse. So I took it as like a holy conviction. Now, at this point, I'm read the Bible. Like I got to stand up for these people. And that's what we've done. And I do the best we can do to help the people we can. And not every case is great, but a lot more cases are better than what the insurance industry wants you to believe they are. And we're here to put the light, the evidence of light most favorable to our clients and get a great result for them. But that was like, I remember that where I just, I really, it bothered me where I was like, you know what, this isn't right. I'm, I feel comfortable standing up for these people for the rest of my life. And I never looked back after that. That was within a year in that happened.
0: Wow. And how often do you see where people don't take the right action, take the wrong legal advice on their case and end up with not enough money to take care of themselves?
1: Yeah, happens a lot. This, and this is the problem with our industry. When this, I can talk about the big problem. I say industry meaning the legal profession in general, right? If we're just dealing with the legal issues and not the human beings that are clients, right? We'll listen to the client. And many times the client is saying, I want to settle my case now. They're under financial pressure. But that financial pressure, it can align with our desire because it's going to make us want to settle the case faster. But the truth is, it's not in the client's best interest. And God forbid, if you're a law firm owner and you're short of cash, you're going to be, you're aligned with the quick cash solution, which is not the full value of the settlement for for the client. You've got to be very careful about that. And this opens up a whole door of other things that we can talk about. But basically, getting back to your original question, yeah, a lot of times people will, the clients will take a lesser settlement to get it done now, and then they won't have the full compensation for them later on. And I tell my people this, listen, the client needs to really understand that this is the last money they're going to get. Because five years from now, they're going to call me up and say, hey, Greg, I need another surgery. You didn't get me enough money and probably the attorney who settled the case is going to be gone, or I'm going to have to deal with that. I've had to deal with that where a client calls me back and says, Hey, listen, you settled my case for too low. Now we've got all kinds of disclaimers and things that we put in there, but it's very easy to fall into that trap of the client. I want to, I want to get my case settled today for a discount and you've got to educate them and make sure they really understand the full scope of that, which is they cannot come back for more money later And most people understand who we're dealing with, especially Spanish speakers, they didn't grow up here. They don't know our legal system. They don't know what it's like. So we've really got to take that extra step to educate them so they know what the impact of that is in settling their case. And unfortunately, I know there are some folks who will settle cases too low or too fast. And uh, there's a lot of reasons to do that. And many times it is client pressure, but you've got to educate them on that. And uh, and it can be painful. And we even struggle with that too, because they don't always take it seriously until they run out of money, right?
0: Yeah, because it's like... The injury leads to another injury, leads to another injury, oh, and yeah, long, you hurt your back. I was just talking about, so you hurt your knee. All of a sudden, your back is injured because of the knee injury, and that's yep. that's a common solution, common thing to everyone.
1: yes yeah, and it's never going to get better. Like your back is never going to be better than it was before the crash. It just yeah. doesn't happen. That that's just the way that it is. And you got to understand, you're going to have to deal with it. It's going to get worse. Going to get worse long term. And when we start trying to put a dollar value on these cases, they I've never seen somebody whose back has really gotten better. And when they're 60, 65, 70, they got grandkids they want to pick up and they can't because their back is bad. Those are things that they need to understand, like the long-term effect. You've got a guy who's 25, he doesn't realize what it's going to be like when he's 50 or 55 or 60. So yeah. you've got to really make sure they understand the full scope of this. 100%,
0: 100%. And also we're talking about medium-sized cases. But then there's the complex, you've recently had a huge settlement too, correct? And yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the complexity of that because people see a hundred million dollar settlement and they're like, oh my God, everyone's rich. Yeah. <laughs> and they got they hit the jackpot. Yep. Is that really what's going on?
1: Nope, not at all. And it is funny because there is a perception that is quote, life-changing money. First of all, our firm, just so you understand what the nature of our the watch viewers will understand, we started off. My wife and myself with the fold-out table and the laptop computer, we've got 160 employees now. So we've got, wow. and we're, we're clipping over 5,000 cases a year. We have a larger volume practice in Miami. We handle cases really around the country now where we're licensed and we have affiliate relationships with firms around the country if we're not licensed there. So we, we get our fair share of cases. And the first word of warning I have for young lawyers and maybe even some smaller firm lawyers is, you see these monster cases and you think, Wow. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change my life. It won't. It really won't. It can really screw up your life you know, if you mess it up because there's so much work that has to go into a case like that. We had 20 lawyers staffed on that case, really legit 20 lawyers for a variety of things that were happening. It's confidential, so I can't really talk too much about the facts of the case, but it was, uh, and it was over hundred million, by the way. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that. I've seen other folks who have gotten into this where they get a big case. If you're a half a million dollars in costs that's a lot of money. You got to think about writing that check. And we're fortunately, we have the financial wherewithal to do that. To give you another example, like when they passed the tort reform in Florida just recently, we had $750,000 in filing fees to file our cases here. We had to file all the lawsuits. 750000 yeah. grand. I, had to, I kept having to pay my credit card down so we could keep using it on the portal because you usually have a couple hundred thousand dollars in your credit card limit and it's like, pay it again, pay it today because we filed everything within a week. And for me, that's the cost of doing business right? And so you think about, you got to get the right life care plan. You got to get the right experts. You got to do this. It's a lot of costs. And so it can sink you. And if that case goes bad, right? If something really, there's a lot of ways that case could have gone bad. I have faith. I knew it was going to be a a strong case for us. There were other lawyers around the country who were saying 35, 40 million, take it and run. And I'm like, no. And then that's the other thing is then you start, when you start calculating your fee, that's it, 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 at a certain point in your career, I don't know, a lot of people do this. I don't do this. I don't ever think, oh, I'm going to make X amount of dollars. I just don't think that way. I have my portfolio of, you know, my inventory of cases where every one of those people is a real human being. And I know based on that number, what my numbers are going to be down the line, but I don't usually ever think about it with any one case. Oh. You know? with, yeah. Actually, there's one exception. That, that's not true. When I started my firm, I'm going to tell you a funny story. Talk about unique cases. I had a guy who had a spinal fracture and he was a CT tech. So he had to pick people up and down. And I remember they were about over, it was over $400,000. And I wanted to get in a, a couple extra grand. The client was like, get me everything you can. And so I remember squeezing for an extra 2,000. And I came up with some crazy number, $2,927.38, something like that. And I, we got that, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember that. I'm like, this is what I need to settle the case. And there was a couple things, like a couple costs. He didn't want to pay and all this stuff. So I was like, let me get enough to cover all that stuff. So I went back to the insurance. Like in that case, I was thinking about what's the number. But besides that, most of the time, It's, uh, it's really is like, I just want to give the best value for the clients and get the best justice. And I think we have to do that as lawyers. We can't be like, oh, this is going to be a hundred thousand dollar payday for me or 200,000. If you're thinking like that, you're going to be on a bad road because eventually, you know, you're going to be playing craps and you're going to lose. And you take one of those big hits, it'll put somebody out of business. You were talking about med mal lawyers. You take two bad hits in a row and you're done because you're a couple hundred grand in costs. And those are hard cases.
0: Yeah, no, it's kind of, you got to listen to Kenny Rogers, right? You never count I'm your money when home. you're sitting at the table. You got never count I'm your money home. when you're sitting at the table. <laughs>
1: for sure. For sure. Uh, By the way, it's the- funny you say that. I tell my wife, I was like, I don't count that money until it's in my operating account. No. I, I legit don't because there's even things that go wrong after the case. Like you get some jerk who comes in and tries to look, you get a tender policy limits, and some guy comes along and is like, oh, you settled this case and blah, 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 blah. And I want the fee. And you could be arguing over that fee in court. Yeah. I think i win that argument, but it's possible. You get a case that's sitting in reductions for six months. I'm like, Dude, that's you can't do that. You got to move those cases. You really have to for the client's best interest. Uh, yeah, not until crazy. it's in the operating account. And even
0: then I'm not yeah, sure. Even then, even then, not until it's locked down and yeah, right.
1: <laughs> <Until> the statute of <laughs> limitations has expired on all causes of action and the IRS statute of <laughs> limitations expire. All that then you can be like, yeah, count my revenue from seven years ago.
0: <laughs> oh man. This, in, we were talking a little bit about the big case. What else do you find are the unknowns of those big cases that you don't know until you start getting that nine figure case that you're fighting?
1: The unknowns, there's just so many variables to manage. And that's, and you can't, at my point now, we have several lawyers in my firm, but you can't delegate that either, right? That's gotta be, the last time I was in court was, was for that case. I have to do it right? You yeah. can't have, you just, you can't leave it up to chance or anything else. And then the stuff you don't know. So you really have to start, you have to get the best experts. You've got to ask them. And you'd really be surprised what, what experts don't know. Like I always I grow up and I talk to my younger lawyers, people who've been practicing less than 10 years and they, they go to these seminars and they hear these lawyers talking like, Oh my God, these guys are gods and all that. I'm like, wait, they're talking about their one really great case. The truth is most of us don't know everything about every case And we've got to research and we have associates for that. Go research it. I don't know what the answer to that question is. You don't know what you don't know until you have a case that really implicates every area of law. Because in that area you've got, I can't, uh, you got any big case, you got taxes, trusts, like estate planning. You got to get the court involved for that. You got minors. you've You've got just tons of stuff that could, any one of those things can really mess you up. And if you upset the court, you lose your credibility. Things get even more of a snail's pace. And then you've got sometimes the very best defense lawyers in the country who are going to be giving you a hard time or doing their very their best job to, to minimize the exposure of their clients. All those things together can really, and this is every complex case. I and mean, we have a few cases over 10 million. The other thing is, you know, you, there is no such thing as a once a lifetime case, right? That's because so People are like it's once a lifetime. I'm like, it isn't. It's not. We're going to get another one. We're going to get another one. And we got another one. We got one a month after that, we got another huge case. It's if you're doing good work and uh, you're doing the right thing by the client, you're going to be at that point, you're going to get those big cases. And don't be afraid to share the credit. It's not me at all, by the way. At this point, I may be the figurehead, but I'm relying on all the experts around me to tell me what I need to know. Maybe I'm the one who's asked to make the decision and you got to be cool when you're making the decision, baby. (laughs) You got to be real cool. You can't be like, what do I do? That deer in the headlights thing, that does not work. You've got to be, you had to make a thousand littler decisions up to that point where you can actually make the big call at the time. And it sounds sexy, but let me tell you, I was up in my Nexium dose and my antacids that those days. I looked cool, but I was popping a lot of Tums those days. Yeah. Because I kept thinking all the stuff that could go wrong. I'm like that. I like, I, let me think of everything that can go wrong and try and minimize that. And that's it. It's, it's tough. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong with it. So you've got to be, you've got to have the best experts around you and you've got to stay focused on what the best outcome for the client is really.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it. That's the way, best way to grow any business and to do is to do great work and let those stories speak for themselves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, fantastic. Greg, this has been great. Hopefully you can come by Orlando, come and we'll do a studio shoot sometime, but if someone needs to hire a personal injury attorney in Miami where how do we get in touch with you all
1: uh very simple we have a number which is 855 delor d o l o r 55 that's and D-O-L-O-R is the word pain in spanish so 855 five 55 or 855 5 million i have the repeater number 855 and uh, you call us that's our our direct 800 number. And I wish I could say you speak with me, but you won't. If you need (laughs) to reach me, you can reach me. I I guess we can put my stuff in your...
0: Where on social uh, media do you spend your time?
1: I think it's Attorney Greg Ward. Oh gosh, I should know this, right? I have a social media guy, so I don't even know. Let me go look at my Instagram here real quick. (laughs) What my name is, it is... Yeah, it just says, yeah, Attorney Greg Ward. So that's nice. me. My wife, more importantly, is Hani Martinez Ward, J-A-N-Y Martinez Ward. She's the one who's, the, the, you'll see a lot more from her than you'll see from me. And her content's way better.
0: <laughs> awesome. We'll put links to all that in the show notes. Greg, thanks so much for being on True Law Stories.
1: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you guys again.
0: Yeah, for sure. And thank you all for taking Greg and I on your journey. It's been Iron Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by videocasestory.com testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to videocastory.com to learn more.